you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. I'm John Horn, host of The Frame, and I am inviting you to my new podcast, Hollywood the Sequel. We're asking actors, directors, and producers what changes they want to see from Hollywood when it comes back from the pandemic. So join me for Hollywood the Sequel. The power of art, the power of narrative, is that it has the ability to to allow us a window into a world that may not be obvious to us. And those windows can help us build pathways to more compassion and understanding for each other's journeys. Actor and producer, Kerry Washington. When we say that we're committed to diversity, it's diverse from what? We're still centering whiteness as the most important thing and allowing or inviting diversity around that. I'm really proud to work in a medium that can help to transform people's ideologies and hearts and and consciousness, but but I'm also proud to be doing work to help shift institutional practices because it's it's going to take both approaches for us to live in a world where equality is not just a dream. I'm John Horn. As the entertainment industry begins the slow process of returning to work, will there be, as Kerry Washington says, a real shift in institutional practices? Can there be a different and more diverse Hollywood? We know because of the coronavirus, there will be changes in how people do their work. But what about the work itself? How far will the industry reset actually go? This is Hollywood, the sequel. Welcome to our new podcast from LAS Studios. Each week, we're sitting down with some of the sharpest minds in the entertainment business to talk about where Hollywood might be headed as it returns to work. We'll get into the external changes for production, marketing, distribution, and with a movie theater business in tatters, what even defines a hit? But we'll also explore the biggest question of all. Will there be systemic change that finally corrects the inequalities that may have been acknowledged but hardly repaired? And that's where we'll begin this first episode with actor and producer Kerry Washington, You know her from the TV series Scandal. We spoke initially in mid-May, and we'll share that conversation in a bit. But after the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, and the protests against police brutality and systemic racism that followed, we wanted to get Carrie's thoughts on how this moment might affect the entertainment industry and America itself. I think one of the things that is challenging to metabolize is that not that much has changed for black people in the last couple of weeks, but there's a different response to it. Um, And so 
I think the sentiments of the moment that feel revelatory, I don't feel like those feelings belong to me. This, this is not a moment of revelation, but I'm watching the revelation unfold around me for people, and I'm grateful that, that as a, not even as a country, but that the world is showing up for black lives in a different way. But this is what, what has been the reality. This level of danger and anger and fear and maybe trauma, lack of safety, like these have been the realities for black Americans since there were black Americans. There are fundamental differences between a moment and a turning point. And I'm wondering, optimistically even, is there a way that real change, not only in the country, but also in the business that you work in, can come out of this? I think so. I mean, I, I think, I, I can hope so. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're not, none of us have a crystal ball. It'll be the historians that tell us years from now, whether this was a flashpoint or a turning point. But I, it feels, it certainly feels for me like something is different and like we have to be willing to look at ourselves regardless of what industry we're in. What do you hope comes out of it? I and mean, what do you hope changes? I mean, what, what would you say would mark progress or change? I think a, a, a more radical acceptance of anti-racist society policies and culture because I think what people are realizing is that it's not enough to just not be racist that because our institutions were built in the fabric of racism because our country was born you know with black Americans being designated a fraction of a human being. Like, it's, it's not enough to just not be racist. We have to be actively anti-racist. Um, and for that desire to come from a deep understanding that we all deserve full rights of humanity, Yes, all lives matter, but accepting that to be in an anti-racist society, we have to affirm that black lives matter. Um, I, think that's, I think that's where we're at. I think people are <laughs> finally kind of understanding that. And our institutions need to understand that, not just interpersonal relationships. It's important that we're having those conversations at our dinner tables and in our classrooms, but also at the highest levels in our systems of government and our systems that are supposedly built for public safety. Like we have to ask ourselves, who do we deem the public and who do we deem the enemy? Um, so I, I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that, that this, all of this new revelatory reflection lends itself to transformation, not just of hearts and minds, but also institutional practices. And those institutions can include, you know, arts organizations like the theater industry, because there's this letter, um, hashtag we see you, which calls out racism in the theater. It's signed by people like Sterling K. Brown, Issa Rae, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think you shared it on Twitter. Mm -hmm. What comes out of that in the best possible outcome? To me, it seems really obvious. Like we look at ourselves to get better and do better. Like that's the that's the practice of self-reflection is to ask ourselves how we can do better. So 
I mean, you know, even the language of inclusivity and diversity, right? It's like when we say that we're committed to diversity, it's diverse from what? We're still centering whiteness as the most important thing and allowing or inviting diversity around that. Or when we talk about inclusivity, there's still an in and an out. So we're still centering certain kinds of people and, you know, maybe in tiny fractions allowing or admitting other people to the table. So there's just so much of it that needs to be reexamined and, and looked at. And, um, and I, I mean, the, the simple answer is what I hope comes out of it is a lot of good. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I hope that we can see each other better and have courage to make room for each other. Coming up, during the pandemic, streaming services became a lifeline for film lovers and a huge challenge for the movie theater owners and the studios. But those digital platforms also turned into an unexpected gift for some filmmakers, including Kerry Washington. What happens when Hollywood returns to whatever the new normal is going to be? Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. So one thing we know about the storyline of Hollywood the sequel is that where we see movies and when will be full of plot twists. The planned release dates for almost all the biggest summer films have come and gone, while a few movies, like Christopher Nolan's Tenant, have tried to stay on the calendar. But even if theaters are starting to open, will moviegoers really return? Would you? Meantime, the streaming services are adding millions of subscribers, and there are plenty of filmmakers like Kerry Washington who see the advantages of an online showcase over a theatrical premiere. Netflix was a huge boost for her film, American Son. It's about a couple trying to find out what the police have done with their teenage child. Washington plays the mother in the film. My son is missing. Now you're telling me he's in custody? No. He might be. No, we don't know that yet. We, well, we don't really know anything yet. No, we really yet, don't do know much. Is no, my that son is my in point. custody or not? Look, I told you, you're going to have to be patient and wait for the AM liaison officer to get lobby. here. Almost I, half an hour before I even got to speak to you. I completely understand your Respectfully, concerns. Respectfully, officer, I don't think you do. Ma'am, I have kids too. Do you? Okay, I do. How old are they? Well, Any uh, of them I, black? You know, a movie like American Son 
that would have been a tiny movie as an art house release in only major cities. And, uh, you know, fewer eyeballs would have seen it by putting that film on Netflix. It, I mean, it overshot expectations from everybody. My expectations, Netflix expectations, the number of eyeballs on it were tremendous. And in places that normally don't have art house theaters, like all across the South, and it overperformed in Europe, and it overperformed in Africa. And so, and this is a movie called American Sun. So we didn't necessarily have a lot of international expectation for it. But I think part of that is is sort of the the international brand of scandal and and kind of people wondering what would be my next project after that. But also the power of these streaming services and the fact that this it's in people's homes. And so being able to share a story like that to with that many people, it's really exciting. And it allows for a film like that to break through to have an audience in Zimbabwe be watching a, a film transformation of a Broadway play about a black family in America. It's, it's, it really is uh, breathtaking. So the last time we talked, it was in Park City, Utah, at the Sundance Film Festival, and you had a documentary there that you produced called The Fight. That was a movie that was obviously a long time in the making, and it premieres in January, the Sundance Festival. But I got to suspect it's going to be received differently today because this is a movie about five ACLU lawyers who are challenging the Trump administration. And it's really about individual liberties and protecting them and protecting the people who are the most vulnerable. And it just feels to me like how relevant that story has become has quadrupled in the last couple of months. But I'm wondering if you think it might be received differently or that its message has evolved in some way since we've all been locked up and since so much has happened in the world? You know, I think it's so funny. One of the things I'm so proud of in the film is that we definitely deal with the right now, you know, everything that the ACLU is, is going through right now while we were filming. But we also, this is the ACLU's 100th year anniversary. And in the film, we really cover some of the complicated history of the ACLU and how they have really been on the front lines of protecting civil liberties for decades and decades, you know, for, for 10 decades and, um, and in some really complicated issues and complicated times. So I think they, that we are going to continue to need them and to rely on their expertise and their courage and um, kind of getting to know them better at this time is really exciting. And I think as we do press for the film to, to have people be able to interact with these lawyers and learn more about these lawyers and learn what they're doing in these times. For example, I mean, as you can imagine, Dale Ho, who's in the movie, who, who's dealing with issues of voting rights as it pertains to the census. Now his hands are full with all kinds of new issues around voting rights and vote, voting by mail and making sure that we protect our access to voting in this really upside down time. Before we were living in this upside down time, if there was a movie like this coming out or maybe you had a series or a feature film, you did publicity and you got attention for it. Maybe you would do a junket. You might go on a talk show. You might do a lot of things that really you can't do anymore. So when you think about how challenging it is to get the word out on anything right now, 
what are the workarounds? Uh, I mean, we're talking, but obviously not in person. We're connecting over a computer. How do you reach people when you don't have the normal tools that you had in the past when you really are trying to get people to think about and share your story? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I remember in the, you know, our premiere for Little Fires Everywhere was canceled. Um, And maybe two or three days later, the stay-at-home orders happened. And um, I just remember that first week, we were really in the throes of what was supposed to be a big publicity launch. And as producers, we were all talking every night, like, what are we going to do? And and at the same time, the late night talk shows, we were trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do? Because we had tons of appearances canceled. I was supposed to be in New York and doing Fallon or actually Colbert. Um, and so it's been a really interesting time as, as everybody figures out how to to stay engaged remotely, we're kind of riding that wave on, on various Zoom calls and Instagram lives and, you know, like just trying to use technology to connect. So one of the things that I think is true about what we're going through is people might be doing things that they might not ordinarily do. It could be maybe reading books, reaching out to other people. It could be learning something new. And I was reminded of something that happened on Instagram where people were asking you how your scandal character, Olivia Pope, would have handled the crisis. And you told a story about Fanny Jackson Coppin. So who is she and why is she important to you? Oh, so, yeah, you know, whenever there are these (laughs) moments of big crisis in culture, it happened after the election in 2016. It happened for covid um, people tend to think that I actually can fix things. You can't? What? I cannot. Darn. Cannot. But I wanted to use um, I wanted to use that kind of interest and expectation from people to highlight some real life people who have quote handled it, like Olivia Pope. Um, so I'm it's gonna I'm gonna post a few different people through history, but the first person that I talked about was um, Fanny Jackson Coppin, who she was a, a born into slavery. She was an, an amazing educator and, and missionary, actually. And she advocated for a higher education for Black people and, and women of color. Um, and she's just, she was really self-taught and courageous and brilliant. And she was the first um, Black principal, Black woman to be a principal. So what does that mean in terms of how people might discover something new? Do you feel like you have a chance now to be a little bit of a history teacher? (laughs) I guess so. I mean, I just think it's fun. You know, I I think we can get into trouble when we rely on imaginary characters to save us. Um, I think we can wind up in in a lot of trouble. Um, I I (laughs) joked at times that part of how we got into the situation we're in now is that we had a, a reality television character swoop into an election and people thought that he could save the day. Um, So I really think that anytime we can remind ourselves and each other that real people can make a real difference, it's a service, right? And that's part of what I love about the fight also is that these lawyers, in some ways, they're like the Avengers, like they are out there really making the world a better place every single day. But in other ways, as you see in the film, like they have unruly kids that they can't 
get to stay quiet when they're on their conference calls, like all of us now at this time, and they lose their cell phone chargers and they ride Amtrak and they're just regular people making real change in the world. Do you think it's possible that when we come out of this in whatever form it takes, that people might reconsider what it means to be a hero, that it's maybe not necessarily Iron Man or some Marvel character, but it could be a nurse who is treating a COVID patient. It could be some sort of first responder. It could be a teacher. It could be somebody who's delivering your groceries because it's not safe to go to the store. That There might be some sort of rethinking of what heroism is, and maybe that could get us out of that kind of fantasy world back into the real world. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I think escapism and you know, narrative drama is so important. Like I I think in some ways superheroes are important because they remind us of what, um, they remind us of how important it is to do good in the world, but remembering that that good can happen by real people in real life is, is so, so important. And it's times like these where we get to, we get to kind of dig for the best of ourselves and witness the best in each other. So you're an actor and a producer, and when you think about what it might look like to go back to work, you're probably talking with other people about what their concerns are, but what do you think that world is going to look like? What are you going to need personally to feel safe? And outside of a timeline, how is that world going to look different? I'm glad that you said outside of a timeline, because I think there are people continue to want to have the conversation of when, and I, I think the focus really does need to be on how, right? Like, how do we get the right testing in place? How do we um, stay safe while we pray for a vaccine? Um, how do we best protect each other? I'm definitely not the right person to answer that question. Um, but I, I know I haven't seen it yet. I know that nobody's handed me a plan at this point where I feel like as a producer or director or actor, I feel safe and ready to jump onto a set and start a process. Um, I'm very happy that we are in pre-production on projects where we're starting to put together the pieces so that when we can go, we can go. But I don't want to rush. You know, I, I think I, I heard someone say recently, somebody on my team said, you know, opening up too early is like stopping taking your antibiotics because you're feeling better. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't work. you got to take the antibiotics all the way to the end. Otherwise, the sick is not done, you know? So much of the business is about momentum. It's obviously about connections and ideas and networking and all that stuff. But it's also about momentum. And when a project has momentum, it's invaluable. And to lose that momentum is really painful. So how do you make sure the things that are important keep moving forward on whatever timetable they're going to move on? How do you stay focused on making sure that you're not letting everything that is moving come to halt? Yeah, you know, there are so many different stages of production and the development and pre-production process is vital to the, the making of a project. So I think we're being gifted with an opportunity to kind of get as many projects as we can ready for the start line. And um, and I don't know when they're going to fire that starting gun where the race can begin, but but we're just going to focus on getting projects there. And, and I think it's allowing for, um, for our company at least, a deeper level of refining our projects and really like 
doing the work to dig deep and make sure that we're not rushing ahead and that that our that the stories that we're getting ready to tell are exactly the stories we want to be telling in exactly the way we want to be telling them. So we're doing a lot of work with writers and and work with directors and just, you know, making sure that that on the development and um research and pre-production side that we have lost zero momentum. So there's the physical challenge of what it means to go back on a set, how many people are on the set, how are things like hair and makeup going to be done. And then there's this idea of what is going to be important as storytellers. And I know it's impossible to predict how a lot of people are going to respond, but do you see your own priorities changing in terms of maybe what you want to tell now, but maybe also the kinds of stories that don't feel relevant anymore? I think it's really hard to tell. I mean, we're sort of in the middle of all of this still. Um, so I think in some ways it's, it is hard to tell exactly, but I think people are really um, wanting to feel hopeful and wanting to feel um wanting to kind of witness and partake in stories that that are about the best of us and that getting to the best of us is challenging and can often require seemingly insurmountable challenges but but that reach for the best in ourselves and others is i think something we're all really drawn toward right now because again we're aware that we are the heroes we've been waiting for um so stories that kind of capture that idea um that's that's what i'm feeling pulled toward In the weeks to come, we'll look at the future of the entertainment industry from every angle. In the words of Oscar winner Guillermo del Toro, I almost think of the tagline of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Who will survive and what will be left of them? Our thanks to Kerry Washington for giving us her time twice. Her documentary, The Fight, will be released on July 31st online and, according to the plan, in theaters too. And thanks to you for listening. We hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hollywood, the sequel, is produced by Shelley Lewis, Monica Bushman, and Jonathan Shiflett, with help from Darby Maloney and Jessica Pilot. Our engineer and sound designer is Eduardo Perez. Our music is composed by Nicholas Bertel. Hollywood, the sequel, is a production of LAS Studios. I'm John Horn. See you next time. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.